Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Uh, we are looking at Psalm 19, and we are in this series called Playlist. And uh, I just want to say I love this series, love all the things that I've been learning in this series as well. And so uh, if it is your first time here, though, we're so glad that you joined us today as we close out this series. And uh, as I do always, I want to look in that camera and welcome everybody joining us online, wherever you're from. We're so glad that you've joined us as well. Well, and uh, my prayer is that God will speak to you wherever you are, because we know he's not bound to these walls, but he can speak to you where you're watching from today. And so uh, we are concluding the series. I'm sad that the series is coming to an end. I've really been enjoying it. I hope you've learned a lot in this series as well. I hope that you've grown uh, in your walk with the Lord. And uh, this series called Playlist is we've been looking in the book of Psalms. And we've said that the book of Psalms is really just a book of songs, that it's a giant playlist. It's God's playlist for our lives. And so some of the songs on our playlist is um, how to live the blessed life. We've talked about how to get out of the elevator of anxiety. We've talked about how to live a life of integrity, shame, how sometimes we have to wait on the Lord, even when we're finding ourselves in the pits of destruction. Last week, we talked about how we can be fully known by God, yet fully loved by him at the same time. And this week, the title of today's message, the song that we can sing is right thinking, right living. And really the theme, we're looking at specifically one verse, Psalm 19, verse 14. And this verse has to deal with all about meditation. Now, Psalm 19, 14 might be a verse that is your life verse. If you've been to church for any length of time, you might recognize this verse. It might be your life verse. And I was thinking about that. And many times people come up to me and they'll say, hey, what's your life verse? What's your favorite verse? And Sometimes I've answered Ecclesiastes 11 and it's verse 9 says, young man, it is wonderful to be young. Do all the things you want to do. Take it all in. But remember, you must give an account to God for every secret thing you do, whether it's good or bad. I love even in chapter 12, it goes on to fear God and obey his commandments. We all need to do this because we have to give an account to God for everything we do. But I also love Romans 8.38. I do love Romans 8.28, but Romans 8.38 talks all about God's love. And it says that I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. And then he goes through a list of all these things that can't separate us. uh, Angels, demons, nor heights or depths and all of that stuff. And I love those verses. But I think as I've continued to walk longer with the Lord, as I've continued to grow in my relationship with him, what I found is I don't necessarily have one verse for my life. But I have verses for different stages of my life, right? Maybe that's for you as well. Maybe a verse for you uh, is one of those that I just mentioned. But one verse for me that's kind of this life verse for me right now is Hebrews eleven six, And I talked a little bit about it last week. And it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This verse has really helped me and challenged me and encouraged me in this season of life that I'm in. But we all have different verses in the Bible. I bet you if I told you, just tell me your favorite verse, we all wouldn't agree on it. It'd be a bunch of different Bible verses. But here's what it is. What's so great is that as we pursue God in his word, we're having a relationship with him, which means we have different verses that speak to us. And as we pursue God in his word, he will give us different verses to encourage us, to convict us, or to remind us of something. Maybe a verse that you love the most is one that God gave you when you were going through this deep, dark valley. And it reminded you that God hasn't left you or forsaken you. Maybe a verse in your life is just you need to be reminded of God's love for you. 
And so when you felt like God didn't love you or want anything to do with you, he gave you a verse that reminded you of that. We all have verses. In fact, I saw an article this week that said the top five American verses. Uh, It was the American verses that have been Googled the most. And uh, you probably already know what one of those are, right? I'll tell you what they are, but it's John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. You know, then there's another one, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans that are good and not bad to give you a hope and a future. Then there's Philippians 4, 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. One is Psalm 23. And you might think, oh yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. No, that's not it. It's actually verse four. That's the most popular. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then, of course, another one that you might guess is Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Those are the top five verses in all of America that are the most popular. And maybe one of those is your life verse. Maybe one of those verses is getting through, uh, helping you get through a stage in your life. But like I said earlier, this verse that we're going to be looking at today is a very popular verse. It's a, it's a famous portion of scripture. And you might not recognize it by Psalm 1914, but when I read it to you, I bet you'll recognize it. In fact, look at what it says. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And to be honest... I've, I've grown up in church my whole life. And so I have heard people pray this prayer before, this, this psalm before. I've seen this on bumper stickers and in hallways before. I've seen it on t-shirts. I, being a kid of the 90s, growing up in the church, there were people who sung this, this, uh, this verse before. So I've heard it. I've seen it. I've sung it before. I'm very familiar with this verse. But let me tell you, this week, as I dug into this verse a little bit, as I got to explore a little bit, let me tell you, I see this verse in a whole new way. I really feel like God brought some encouragement to me and really grew me through this verse. And really, that's been my hope and prayer this week as we've gotten to today, as we've gathered today, that God would grow you and encourage you through this verse as well. Because this is a very profound verse in the Bible. Because the way that I've always heard it taught is mostly about the outward, the public words that we speak. And this verse does invite God to uh, be, uh, to invite him into our public words, the words we're saying out loud, but it's also the words that we say to ourselves that are spontaneous in the moment that quite frankly, we can't say in the house of the Lord, if you catch my drift, Right? Because for many of us, if God were to tune into the private meditation of our hearts, it would be a disaster and it could be embarrassing. But I want you to notice the heart of this verse, this very popular verse deals with the heart. And I wanted to close our series out with this verse. And I wanted to close out our series with this verse because I believe this is a song that we can sing as we fight for control, what has control in our life. And why meditating on the right things will lead to right thinking and lead to right living. So let's break this verse down a little bit. The first thing I see is the conversations I have on the inside affect my life on the outside. The conversations I have on the inside will affect my life on the outside. Here's what I mean by that. You'll notice a word in verse 14, meditation. Now, what does meditation mean? Because meditation can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So what's the psalmist trying to say here? 
Because some of us, when we hear the word meditation, we think of somebody with their legs folded, their arms out, their eyes closed, and they're going home. You know, they find their happy place and they're meditating. If you grew up in the church, a definition that we've given it is quiet contemplations for spiritual truth. Basically, what that means is that you've memorized the portion of scripture, or you read something, and you're constantly thinking about it and bringing it back up to the forefront of your mind. But neither one of those definitions is what the psalmist is talking about here when he says meditation. It's not what he's getting at. In fact, meditation here means to talk in a whisper. It's a word that refers to the thoughts that take place internally. So we could define what he's saying by saying this. It's the ongoing, constant conversation we have with ourselves every single moment of every single day. Now, whether you realize it or not, you are talking to yourself on the inside all day long. Now, I'm not talking like the crazy kind of talk where you're hearing voices in your head, but I'm talking about the regular rhythm, the ongoing conversation with yourself, and we all do it. In fact, you're doing it right now. You're arguing with me whether or not I'm right about this definition. You know, you're, you're thinking about it. You're starting to process this information. You're trying to think about this, this definition that we've come up with. And you're having this internal dialogue. You're talking with yourself right now. In fact, I found an article in a, a newspaper called The Atlantic. And it was called, the, the title of the article was called The Running Conversation in Your Head. And it dealt with this inner, uh, inner dialogue that we all have. And I found a quote that I feel like can kind of shape and frame what we're going to be talking about today. And it said this, language is the hallmark of humanity. It allows us to form deep relationships and complex societies. But we also use it when we're all alone. It shapes even our silent relationships with ourselves. And so then the article went on to say that as humans, on average, we speak up to 4,000 words a minute. Now, I don't know if you caught that or not. I said you internally speak 4,000 words to yourself every minute. That's a lot of words. The article went on to say how the ongoing conversation with ourselves, we don't need to go into great detail. We don't need to give ourselves context of a situation. We can talk in fragmented sentences. And so we could jump from subject to subject to topic to topic. And we're just running through this list in our minds of everything going on. Now, I'm going to encourage you, stop talking to yourself for just a minute, and let's think about what this means, okay? If you are talking 4,000 words a minute to yourself, on average, that means in the next hour, you will have talked 240,000 words to yourself. Now, if you're like me and you're going to be up for the next 16 hours, that means you will speak 3.8 million words internally to yourself. Here's what this means. You're the biggest voice in your life. Because on average, to contrast this a little bit, we speak 7,000 words outwardly. Now, let me tell you, by this service, I've already surpassed the 7,000 a day word, okay? Like, so on average, we speak 7,000 words a day. Some of you are like, well, I'm married to somebody who speaks a little more than that, okay? Don't nudge them, don't touch them, don't do anything, you know? Don't be the Holy Spirit to your spouse. But on average, we speak about 7,000 words a day. So here's how I'm going to illustrate that. We teach from the ESV Bible. And the ESV Bible has over 700,000 words to it. Now, this is is why it's important. If we speak 4,000 words a minute to ourselves internally, what that means in the next three hours, you will speak all of this to yourself. That's only in three hours. 
Now, contrast that. You speak 7,000 words a day out loud. That means it'll take you 100 days to say this much in your life. So we say a lot of words to ourselves. So why is all of this important? Why does the conversation that I have on the inside affect how I live on the outside? It's important because everything, every way that I live out here in the world is rooted and grounded in the conversation that I allow to take place in my heart. There's a direct link between the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. And David, the author of this psalm, knew this because he knew that the words of his mouth were driven by the meditation of his heart. We could say it this way. Whatever fills your heart fuels your life. Whatever you're filling your heart up with is going to fuel your life. And so this isn't just taught here in the Psalms. It is taught a lot in the book of Psalms, but it's taught elsewhere, other places. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You could jump to the New Testament. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or we could jump back to the Psalms. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored, the word stored means treasured, up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, Solomon knew it, David knew it, the psalmist knew it, Jesus knew it, that whatever we treasure, whatever we store up in our heart, whatever playground we let ourselves run around in inside is ultimately going to affect our life. Another famous portion of scripture, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word conform means to be shaped into, to be molded into. What Paul is saying is don't be conformed to this world. Don't let society, don't let culture, don't let the people in your life mold you and shape you into who they think you should be. But instead, we need to be transformed. That word transformed means where we get our word metamorphosis from. So you can think of it kind of like how a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. In the same way, God wants to transform you into a completely new person by renewing your mind. It's describing a change that takes place on the inside and then spills out to the outside. So how does this happen? Well, Ephesians tells us, gives us the key here. It says that we need to put off the old self and put on the new self. It's kind of like trying on clothes. If you're trying on clothes, you can't keep the old clothes on. You'll look ridiculous as you try to try on new clothes. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen that way. You got to take the old stuff off to put on the new stuff. You have to take off the old habits, the old sinful ways, the old words, the old sinful pattern of life. You have to take off all that old stuff and you need to put on what God has for you, the new self. See, when we allow Jesus to be Lord of our thoughts, when we allow uh, God to uh, be invited into the meditation of our heart, we want it to be pleasing to God. And then guess what happens out of all of that? When we put on that new self, what comes out is holiness and righteousness. See, the conversation I have on the inside affects how I live on the outside. Here's the second thing this verse uh, 14 is teaching us. And it's we should care about what God thinks about the meditation of our hearts. 
We should care about what God thinks about those 4,000 words a minute going on inside of us. In fact, look at what it says again, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable where? In your sight. It's interesting to me that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts is watched by God. The psalmist says, ask the Lord, hey, let them be acceptable, not in your ears, but in your sight. And when I read that this week, I was caught off guard a little bit because you can't see the words coming out of my mouth. You can't see the thoughts and the meditation right now. So why does he say sight? What is God looking for in our mouth and in our meditation? It's the sin in our life that we're holding on to. See, if you've ever prayed a prayer like this, Lord, let the uh, words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Or if you've ever prayed, God, I just want to live a life that's glorifying to you, that's pleasing to you. I want to forsake this life of sin and live for you. Or if you maybe prayed that prayer we talked about last week in Psalm 139, God, search me and know my heart. If you've ever prayed one of those prayers and the Lord convicts you of something, that shouldn't be there, that we're holding on to, it's amazing how exposed we feel, right? We can feel naked. We naturally want to conceal our motives, justify our words, or cover up our actions. And when you think about it, those are all sight feelings. Like God is seeing our sin. But when God sees our sin, our job, our, what we do, what we put our hope in, is to turn from those sins and repent of it. Because the more that we fight to keep our sinful state, the more that we try to hold on to those sinful habits, those old ways of living, those old patterns, the more time we lose in receiving God's grace to change. God sees the fruit of our ways. And those ways are shown through, our, through the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts. The fruit of our lives is what God sees more than what he hears. The psalmist is like, hey, God, even the deep down conversation in my heart that no one knows, that no one sees, those 4,000 words, God, would you let them be acceptable in your sight? That word acceptable even means to bring pleasure to or to bring joy. David is like, God, would you find joy in those 4,000 words? Because David understands that as a leader and as a king, whatever's going on inside of him, The meditation of his heart will ultimately affect everybody that he is leading. And the same is true for you. You know, James tells us that our tongue is like a rudder directing the ship where to go. So if the meditation of your heart is not good, then what's going to come out is not good. And it's going to affect your home life. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect the place that you work, the people that you're surrounded by, the people that you lead. And so we too need to have this desire to bring joy to God and what's going on inside of us. So why does this matter? Why do we want our words and the meditation of our heart to be acceptable? Because of what Psalm 149 says. It says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Taking pleasure in someone means that you are enjoying their presence. It's such a wonder to me that the creator of the universe, the God who made all of us, wants to spend time with us. The Lord longs and wants to be in your presence and in my presence and enjoying that. And the truth of that should fill us with gratitude and want to draw us closer to God. We should want God to be pleased with what's going on inside of us. 
And when God is pleased with us, it's because he sees Christ in us. You see, the only thing that ever pleases God in your life and my life is Jesus. It's never us. It's our position in Christ that pleases him. And David here in Psalm 19 wants to make sure that God is pleased, that God finds joy, that God finds what he's seeing, the meditation of his heart. He wants it to be acceptable. And then here's the last thing. Only the power of Jesus can make our meditation right. Only the power of Jesus can make our meditation right. Here's the reality. We could come in here today. We can break this verse down. We can hear a message like this and we could leave here today and we could go, man, I'm struggling even to get the words that people hear right. And I even still fail at that. This takes Christianity. This takes this whole new words thing to a whole new level. I don't think I have a shot at making this work. There's no way that I can do this in my own strength. It seems impossible. And you're right. You can't do this in your own strength. But the key to unlocking all of this is what it says in the rest of this verse. Because here's what happens to many of us. If you've heard this verse or even just reading this verse, a lot of us, we will just stop at the word sight and we're done. We drop off, we stop reading, we kind of keep moving on. I know for me, I was guilty of it over the last couple of weeks. People come up and ask me, hey, what are you teaching on? I say, well, you know, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And I would just stop. I would drop off. I wouldn't finish the rest of the verse. And that's what a lot of us could do. We could just stop, not read the rest of it. We don't, we leave off, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We think, well, of course it has to be there. It's in the Bible. It's spiritual. You have to at least say God's name in it, right? Like it's a poem. It needs to have that. It's just filler. But listen, this isn't just filler. It isn't a declarative statement. This is a prayer. See, David begins, let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Where? In your sight. To whose sight? O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, the answer to making our meditation right is only found in Jesus. He is our rock and he is our redeemer. Because when Jesus is my rock, he is my strength in moments of weakness. Now, you may not know this, but the uh, Hebrew for rock is rock, all right? It speaks of something strong and stable, something firm. And David's like, hey, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, they're going to be weak. And I need to find somewhere where I can run to in those moments of weakness. Because listen, there will be times in your life when your thoughts will be a little weak and they aren't pleasing to God. Why? Because Jesus hasn't come back yet and you still have a flesh. And listen, your flesh isn't getting any better. It's getting worse. And some of us think, well, how can I be a Christian this long and I'm still going through this? Or how can I be a Christian this long and I'm still dealing with that? Or how can I be a Christian for this long and I'm still struggling with these thoughts inside of me, this inner dialogue, these 4,000 words? How can I still be struggling with all of this? And it's because you put confidence in your flesh and you think your flesh is getting better, but it's not. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Our flesh is learning every day new ways to deceive us, new ways to trick us, new ways to lie to us. Our flesh will throw some thoughts into our heart and the temptation in our flesh is to then run around in that playground of that temptation, of that sin. The psalmist is inviting us to not do that at all. 
It's inviting us to run to the rock that is Jesus. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, uh, it tells us that we need to take every thought captive. Now, for some of us, we hear that and we go, well, that sounds good. Like, I don't really know how to do that. You know, you can't really capture those thoughts. So how am I supposed to do that? I'll give you two examples. First one, when a thought comes into your mind, a lustful thought comes into your mind, you have two options. You can allow yourself to run around in that playground of that lustful thought, and you can think, well, you know, I'm not hurting anyone. No one really knows except me. And you can fantasize, and you can think about what life would be like, or what about this, and you can think about it, you can dwell on it, you could keep thinking about it, or you could run to the rock. You could take that same thought and say, Jesus, my flesh is wicked. I know that I shouldn't be thinking this self. And remember, you speak 4,000 words a minute to yourself. So you can just do this real quick. You don't need to set yourself up. You just start talking to Jesus. You go, Jesus, this is not from you. This is not for me. You have something better for me. You created sex to be a gift in marriage between a man and a woman. And I know this is not from you. This is not from me. And what happens is Jesus becomes the rock. And what was intended to be this fiery missile, this fiery arrow from the enemy is now extinguished by a conversation with Jesus. Let me tell you what I found in my own life as I've struggled with lustful thoughts in my own life. What I've learned is that it's really hard to have a conversation with Jesus and have a lustful thought at the same time. You see, when you take what the enemy intended to be a temptation to lead you from the Father, Jesus wants to take that same temptation and lead us to a deeper intimacy with the Father. I'll give you another example is anger. I think we all get angry at times, right? We get angry on the inside. We get angry in our house, whether at our spouse or our kids, because we stepped on the Lego for the 100th time, even after we told them to clean it up. We get angry. We get angry because things break, and it's not going the way we want it to go. We get angry at work when people aren't listening. The customers are annoying when we're working with employees or, co- or even coworkers who aren't doing anything. We could get angry at those people, or better yet, we could get angry when just driving around Clarksville. You know? You get stuck behind some moron going the speed limit, and you're like, what is this? Or maybe you work in Nashville, and you're driving on a 24, and you're headed there, and you're listening to praise music. And you're just maybe even not closing your eyes because that's not safe. You're just raising your hands. You're raising a hallelujah. And you're going and then some idiot just cuts you off. You slam on those brakes. They don't give you a turn signal. They don't give you a wave. They don't even look over their shoulder. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that they didn't make turn signals that year in that car. You know, like you're just so angry and aggravated with them. You're like, you can't even wave. You can't do anything. Like, did you know this was my lane? And we get aggravated. We get agitated. We get frustrated. We're cussing them out on the inside, right? I'm not talking Christian cuss words like dang and crap, okay? Like I'm talking... (laughs) We are cussing them out. We are just letting them have it on the inside, right? Those 4,000 words, it's a giant bleep session. Like we are just doing it all that we can to them right there. We're not coming out of our mouth, but that's the meditation of our heart. Now, why is that? Because you've been wronged. What if in that moment of temptation to run around in the playground of that anger in your heart, what if instead you went back to the rock and you said, Jesus, I'm about to mess this up. I'm angry that they wronged me. But Jesus, I realize that they haven't done anything to me that I haven't done to you. 
and yet you've forgiven me anyways. And God, they're made in your image and likeness and you love them. You have a plan and a purpose for them. And I hope it's the DMV so they could go back and maybe a ticket. But Lord, I'm working on that forgiveness thing. But would you forgive them? And would you help me to forgive them and show forgiveness the same way that you've forgiven me? That's how we take our thoughts captive. That's how we run to the rock in our moments of weakness. See, in the moment of temptation, you have two choices. You can let your heart run around all day long in the playground of those lustful thoughts, that anger, whatever it is for you. You can run around all day long or you can run to the rock. If we don't fix our hearts on God, our hearts will get fixed on the very next thing that comes our way. Our hearts and the meditation of our hearts are always looking for something to dabble in. And the enemy will try to come at us and say, hey, nobody knows. Nobody's looking. Nobody knows that that's going to happen. But you know. And you know God knows. And if we don't fix our hearts on him, our hearts will become fixed on the very next thing. So practically, how do we live this out? How do we run to the rock in moments of weakness? It's the practical way of doing this. Well, it is to start every day when you wake up, before you even get out of bed, have a conversation with Jesus in your heart. Again, you've got 4,000 words a minute. You can say it real quick. Come before the Lord. The eyes open up. You have a conversation with Jesus. You say, Jesus, today I give you my heart. I give you my desires. I give you my thoughts. I give you my intentions, my motivations. God, I give you my actions, my reactions. God, I give you my family. I give you my job. I give you my business. I give you my platform, my influence. Jesus, it's all yours. Take it all and use it all for your glory. And when you have that conversation with Jesus, then get into God's word. Be alone with Jesus. And if you don't know where to start, grab one of those bookmarks in our lobby or go online and and download the Bible reading plan that we're going through and spend some time with Jesus. Now, let me tell you, I'm not up here telling you to do something that I'm not doing already in my life or trying to do. Definitely not perfect at this. I still don't do this the right way, but let me tell you what I found. My ability to live in the victory of the meditation of my heart rises and falls based off of the conversation I have with Jesus before my feet hit the floor. And when I spend time with him in the morning, it all rises and falls on that. See, when I do those two things, the battle for my, the meditation of my heart is a lot easier to win. But when I don't have that conversation with Jesus... When I roll over and I start watching YouTube videos, when I get busy and my, heat, my feet hit the floor before I've even done anything, I'll tell you what, all day long I struggle for the meditation of my heart. So Jesus is my strength in moments of weakness, but what about those moments when I fail? What about those moments when I don't run to the rock, instead I run a different path and I go a different direction? What happens when I fail? Because we are going to fail. We're going to have moments in our life where our thoughts are just going to run a little wild. But listen, not only is Jesus your strength a moment of weakness, but look at the other part of that verse. He's your savior in moments of failure. He's your redeemer. He's already bought you back from every kind of sin, past, present, and future. 
So when the Holy Spirit uh, shows you an area of your life where you've been disobedient or a little rebellious in your life, what are we supposed to do? How do we run to the Redeemer? Well, we do what John tells us to do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't run to other vices. We don't run to other things. We don't run from God's word or run from that conversation with God. We run back to the Redeemer when we failed. And God will save us and forgive us. And how does God redeem us? Well, he redeemed us by sending his son Jesus to live, to die, and to rise again for us. So how can the meditation of our heart ever be right? Well, let's just step back for a moment and see the whole context of Psalm 19. I would encourage you, read it uh, on your own sometime this week, maybe even later today. Read this psalm because it's been said that it's one of the best psalms, one of the most poetic psalms David ever wrote. But what is the context of Psalm 19? It basically divides into three sections. Verses 1 through 6 talk about God's creation. Verses 7 through 11 talk about God's word. And verses 12 through 14 talk about David. And here's the progression of the psalm. First, David looks at creation And then he looks in the scriptures, and then finally he took a good long look at himself. And after reflecting on God's holiness revealed in the world and in the word, David recognizes his own weakness, his own sinful state. He's like, God, I don't want to be overcome by sin. I don't want my life to be marked by sin. Uh, Forgive me for these times. God, I don't want to displease you. I want to be a, a, a sacrifice. I want my life to be acceptable to you. And he's crying out to God for help. And he's asking God to get his word in him. Because whatever is in him, he knows that whatever's coming into his life and whatever's going to come out of his life, he wants it to be pleasing to God. That's why it's a prayer. He knows that right thinking can lead to right living. And that's why he said, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.